surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. And Mark, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. John, peace be with you as the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. And then Luke and Acts are, again, two, two sides of the same. There we go. This is what's written, the Messiah will suffer, rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations. Beginning at Jerusalem, you are witnesses of these things. I'm going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high. And then Acts, which is the companion volume to Luke. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So, very common theme there, this idea of going or, or being sent, this idea of spreading this, the message of Jesus. But you can see some different um, emphases in each one. Matthew and Luke, kind of the dominant word is go. We're going to look at that next week in John, that, which is what we're going to look at today. The dominant word is send. It says, as I've been sent, I'm sending you. And in Luke and Acts, you see this idea of the Holy Spirit and being witnesses. And we'll look at that in three weeks. So today, just two questions we want to answer. What does it say about the character of God, that he is a sending God? And what does it say to us about us, that we are a sent people? So what does it say to us about God, about his character, that he's a sending God? And what does it say to us about us, that we are a sent people? People. I counted at least 24 times in John, there may be more, but there's at least 24 times in John that Jesus refers to the Father as the one who sent me, he who sent me, him who sent me, the Father who sent me. This idea of the Father as a sending God is a big deal in John. Jesus makes a point to say that's who, that's who he is. You can identify him as the one who sent me. And so again, what does that say to us about his character? I don't know if you've uh, heard these concepts, maybe you believe them, maybe you have people who you love who believe these things. Two common pictures of God. One is that he's this uh, watchmaker. And so he's de- designed this very intricate, very elaborate world, and he's wound it up, and then he just kind of he's pulled his hands off. And he's just kind of letting everything play out. He's not necessarily engaging, he's not intervening in history anymore. He set everything up, he created everything, and then he stepped back. It's called deism. It's a very common um, way of relating to God. Yes, there is a God. He created everything. But we're pretty much on our own now. He sets stuff up. And now he's just watching to see how things play out. In that picture, you have a, a passive and aloof and a distant God. The other is this idea of God as this game master. He's created this, this these scenarios, which most of which end in dead ends. There's dozens or hundreds or thousands of dead ends that lead to hell. And there's this one tiny road that leads to life. And maybe you'll find it. If you're lucky, somebody might stumble upon it. Not really sure if God wants you to stumble upon it, but he's put it out there. The odds are definitely not stacked. The odds are stacked against us, wondering about whether God's actually good and loving. If he was, then how come it's a narrow road that leads to heaven and a wide road that leads to hell? And so those pictures are floating around it there. God is this aloof, distant watchmaker, or God is this cruel game master who's made things very difficult for people to actually find life. What I would submit is that, that the idea of God as a sending God undercuts both of those two concepts. So the situation, Adam and Eve created perfect fellowship with God. The Bible even seems to indicate that they somehow they walked with God in the Garden of Eden. There's this very, that, that's a picture of this intimate unbroken relationship that they have with him. They sin, 
And that sin creates a chasm between humanity and God, between Adam and Eve and God. And then because they're our spiritual parents, we inherit that same um, distance. We're all born with this separation between us and God. And then if you say, well, that's not fair, well, we do the same thing. Every time we willingly, every time we intentionally sin against him, that chasm just gets wider and wider and wider. We can't cross it. Every religion in the world says, I'm going to tell you how to bridge that gap. And the issue is none of them can. We can't bridge that on our own. Basically, what they're going to say is if you're good enough, you can build a bridge. Nobody, nobody can be that good. You can't build a bridge across this chasm that, that, that separates us from God. And so that's the situation. We're 100% responsible for this rupture in relationship. God didn't do anything. He gave Adam and Eve one. There was one rule. Just one, don't eat from that tree. You can do anything else you want, just don't eat from that tree. And they do so. They eat from that tree, break relationship with him. We inherit that broken relationship. We exacerbate that broken relationship every time we sin. Um, that moves us farther and farther away. That's the situation. We're 100% responsible. God is 0% responsible. And yet what he chooses to do is he builds a bridge. Romans, I think it's 5.10, says, while we were still enemies of God, while we were his enemies, we're on the other side of this chasm from him. He sent his son, he died for us, and reconciled us to him. So what Jesus does is he becomes the bridge that bridges, that allows us to go back and forth. He's this bridge that allows us to come into a relationship with God by his death and resurrection. We talked about that a few weeks ago. If you remember, I'm not going to spend any time on that. Today we talked about his, the, the cross is a place where God's justice and his love are both demonstrated. That's what builds that bridge. He deals with the sin issue. He doesn't just wink at it. A God who winks at sin is not worthy of your life. We all have this thing in us that says there should be justice. Wickedness should be dealt with, and it's dealt with on the cross. And it's a place where his love is most fully manifested, most fully demonstrated because he's saying not only am I going to deal with sin I'm going to take on the punishment for that myself I'm going to bear that for you in order to create the opportunity for me and you to be in a relationship with God so Jesus bridges this gap God sends him in order to do that so what that looks like to me is that God didn't just set things up wind the clock and let it play out he's intervened in history he didn't just say, I'm going to create a thousand dead ends to frustrate you. I'm going to create a thousand dead ends to see how many people wind up in hell. And maybe a couple of folks will find the narrow way and it'll be okay. What he said is Jesus came to be a bridge and to proclaim that there was one. It's part of what he did. If you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, what, it's, what does it say? Kind of the essence of Jesus' ministry is it's proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. Saying, hey, you don't have to live separated from the Father anymore. There, there, there's a way that you can reconnect with him. And what does he do with us? We just read. Every one of us who's adopted into his family is then sent back out to tell everybody else. Neon lights and arrows pointing. Here's the way. There is only one, but it's not hidden. There is only one, but it's not a secret. There's only one because there's only one person who could take care of our debt. We've talked about that before. So what does it say to us about God that he's a sending God, that we're the ones that broke relationship, and he's the one that restored it. I don't know if you've ever been in a spot like that where somebody burned you, somebody sinned against you, somebody betrayed you, hurt you, something like that, their fault, and yet you're the one that went to them to restore. It's not necessarily 
the easiest thing in the world to do. That, that, that takes something. Now, God did that times a billion. He had absolutely no fault, and yet he was the one who took 100% initiative to build this bridge so that we could enter back into relationship with him. So what that says to me is that God is more invested in my salvation and God is more invested in me than I am. He's got more at stake in me than even I have in me. If you wrestle with this, I'd encourage you this week to read Luke 15. It's just three short parables. It'll take you five minutes. Read it every day. There's three parables. They all teach the same thing, just from a slightly different perspective. You've got the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. And in each parable, there's someone who represents God. In the lost sheep, it's the shepherd. In the parable of the lost coin, it's this woman. And in the parable of the lost son, it's the father. In all three of those parables, you have a God figure. And in all three of those parables, the God figure does the same thing. He seeks what's lost. That's what Jesus says he came to do in Luke 19.10. I came to seek and save that which was lost. So we have this sheep. When I think of sheep, honestly, I just think stupid. Sheep aren't the smartest animals in the world. They're not rebellious. They just wander away. They see food. They see grass. And they just kind of walk after it. And in this picture, the shepherd, in this parable, the shepherd goes after this one sheep that's wandered away. There's a coin. This woman has ten coins and she loses one. And it says she uses a lamp and she uses this broom to scour her house to find this one coin that was lost. And for me, kind of the picture there for us, coins are inanimate. They're lost. It's no fault of their own. They can't help it if they were misplaced or dropped. And last week we looked at a slide, 1.8 billion people who've never heard the gospel. That's a minimum number. It's probably higher than that. 1.8 people who would know, not negatively at all, are clueless. They don't know what they don't know. They don't know that they're separated from God. If they do know they're separated, they don't know where, they don't know where the bridge is because no one's ever pointed it out to them. And what does he do? He goes after them. The shepherd goes after the sheep. The woman scours her house looking for this coin. And then the last one, you have this son who's rebellious. He says to his dad, basically, I wish you were dead. Just give me my money now because I'm out. And he goes and he wastes it. And at some point he realizes it would be better to be a slave in my dad's house than to be out here on my own. And he turns and starts walking back. And what the Bible says is his father sees him when he's a long way off. To me, the only way the father sees him if he's a, when he's a long way off is if the father is looking for him. Flat roof. So he's standing on the flat roof every day looking out, wondering, is today going to be the day? Is today going to be the day? Is today going to be the day? And when he sees him a long way off, he doesn't wait for him to get back. He doesn't let him come and grovel. What does he do? He sprints to him, hugs him, puts a ring on his finger, a robe around him, invites him back into the family, says, let's have a party. Let's celebrate because this son of mine that was dead is now alive, who was lost, is now found. All three of those, it's the same picture. The shepherd, the woman, the father, they, they, they seek, they pursue, they go after what is lost. And all of us are or were in one of those three categories. Some of us are like sheep. We have spiritual ADD. There's nothing negative in our hearts. We're just easily distracted. We see shiny things and we just kind of move, we chase them. And that's where some of you are. You wake up one day and you say, it's been a while since I've connected with God. It's not because you ever said, I'm not going to. You just got busy or you got distracted or you got burdened or for whatever go. It's just us, that song, that, that hymn that we sing sometimes. My heart is prone to wander, so God, you seal it because I know me and I know my heart is prone to wander. What you need to hear, God's more invested in your salvation than you are. So if you're a wanderer, he's coming after you. 
You may feel like a coin. You're clueless. You don't know what you don't know. You can't connect with some of the stuff that we talk about. It doesn't, doesn't resonate with you. It doesn't click in your mind or in your heart. What I would say to you is he's coming after you as well. Just as much, he, he's coming after you. His desire is to reveal himself to you and, and to find you. You may feel like you're that rebellious son. You're living actively resisting him. You've rejected his grace. You've hardened your heart towards him. You're stiff-arming, keeping him out here. He's, he's coming after you too. For all of us, whether we're wandering or whether we're clueless or whether we're rebellious, the picture from Luke 15 is the father says, the father sends the son to seek and save that which was lost. And he's still doing that. He's ascending God. He's highly invested in your salvation and he's highly invested in your life. If that's true, I wonder if you can trust him at a deeper level this morning. If you read the Old Testament, the Jews are constantly told to remember. Remember, 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 remember. It's all through there. Remember, they used to, they built monuments out of rocks. They just put rocks and made a pile and said, this is a monument that's going to help us remember what God has done. And primarily what they were supposed to remember is the exodus. They're supposed to remember these ten plagues in Egypt. They're supposed to remember God parting the Red Sea and them coming across it. They're supposed to remember these 40 years of wandering in the desert where every day they woke up and there was this stuff on the ground that they were supposed to eat called manna. Constantly throughout the Old Testament, the, the Israelites are encouraged to remember. Why? Because if you can remember, if he put that much into forming you as a people, if he put that much into you getting started, then can't you trust him to sustain you? Can you trust him to continue on, to provide for you, to take care of you when things get rocky, when things get tricky? What does Jesus say in Luke when he gives the bread? Do this in remembrance of me at the Last Supper. What does he say when he passes around this cup of juice? Do this in remembrance of me. It's the same idea. If he went through what he went through to bring us into relationship with him, he experienced that agony. If he did all of that stuff, then what he would say is, if you can remember that, if I did all of those things to draw you in, can you not trust me to sustain you? Can you not trust me to take care of you? Can you not trust me to lead you through? There's this idea, again, that he's more invested in us than we are in us, and he's more invested in our salvation than we are. And if I can remember that, then hopefully that helps move me along when times get murky and confused. There's this, again, this idea that because he's ascending God, I can trust him. When I was an enemy, he, he reached out to me. He said, I'm going to make a way for you to come back into this relate. I blew the relationship. And he says, I'm going to make a way for you to enter back in. And it's really not even that hard. You repent of your sins. That's it. Put your trust in me. And then we're going to reestablish this relationship. And if he did, if he went through what he went through in order to make that possible, then can I not trust him with my life moving forward, particularly when things get tricky? So I don't know where you find yourself this morning. Are you a wanderer? Are you clueless? Are you rebellious? Then what you need to hear is he's coming after you. His desire, he's built a bridge for you. And he's not just waiting on you to find it, hoping you stumble on it. He is pursuing you, trying to bring you to this point 
where you'll turn and begin to walk across the bridge. And the moment you turn, the moment you turn and look at him, that's called repentance. The moment you do that, he'll cover the rest of the distance. He doesn't wait for you to get all the way across it. You put a foot on the bridge, and he'll cover the rest of the distance for you. That's the parable of the prodigal son. He comes running when he sees you make that turn towards him. If you'll do that this morning, then he'll meet you, regardless of what you have or haven't done or have or haven't said. If you have spiritual ADD, he's coming after you. He can help you with that. He's coming after you. He's pursuing you. And you say, I do this over and over again. How many times is he going to have to rescue me from the same pit? As many times as you fall into it, he will rescue you from the same pit. Some of you are like these coins and you say, I don't even know that anybody knows that I'm lost. And what he would say, you're, you're worth scouring the floor for. And he's doing that for you. He's got nine others. He's looking for you as the lost one. There's a story. Jesus is up on the Mount of Transfiguration with Peter, James, and John. And he comes down. And the rest of his disciples, the other nine, are dealing with this boy who has, he's got epilepsy and he's demonized. He's got some bad things going on. And the disciples are trying to deliver him from this these fits that he gets thrown into by this demon, and they can't do it. And the father comes up to Jesus. Jesus says, what's all the commotion? And they say, we can't handle this kid. The, father says they're, the, his, the kid's father says, they're trying to take care of my boy, and they can't. And if you can do something, will you? And Jesus says, if anything is possible for those who believe. And this father's response is perfect. He says, I believe, help my unbelief. Where are you this morning in terms of what you believe? Can you grab onto that and then say, God, and these are all the areas where I need help. I can believe that you're real. I can believe that you're a watchmaker. I can look around at the world and say, someone created it. It's not the result of a cosmic accident. I can say that, but you've got to help me with the rest of this. Then bring that before him. I can get that Jesus was real, and I can get that Jesus died. What I can't get is that somehow that death means anything for me. I don't believe, I don't, I can't make that connection. Grab on to what you can believe and say, God, I can believe you for this, but you've got to help me with this. That's part of making the turn and getting on that bridge. And he will meet you in that if you'll be honest with him. What are the things that you believe? What are the things that you're struggling with? What does it say about God that he's ascending God? It says he's more invested in your salvation than you are. And he's more invested in you than you are. So so can you trust him at a greater level than maybe you have in the past? Second question, what does it say about us that we're a sent people? Five or six times in John, Jesus refers to himself as the one who was sent. And then he includes us in that. In Matthew, he sends the 12. In Luke, he sends out the 70 to do a missionary journey. In John 17, 18, he says, as you sent me into the world, so have I sent them into the world. 2021, we've already looked at that. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. So we're adopted into the family of this sending God, this sending Father. And then as we take on his likeness, he sends us back out. Again, there's this idea that Jesus is the bridge, and he, makes, he wants all of us to make sure everybody we know knows that there's a bridge. It's not hidden. It's not a secret. There's neon lights pointing at the bridge. This is the way. Walk in it. Here's the way to be reconciled to God. And he sends all of us out on his behalf, far from being this wicked or cruel game master who creates all these dead ends. What he, he wants everybody to know. 
The Bible says he doesn't delight in anyone perishing. He wants all men and women to come to a knowledge of the truth. That's his heart. That's his desire. That's why he's made a way for us to be reconciled to him because he wants everybody to walk the bridge. And he sends us out to do that. So what does it mean for us to be sent? It means a lot, but at a minimum, and this is how we'll close today. It means that your life has a purpose. If your wife sends you to the grocery store to buy milk, and you buy Oreos and Lucky Charms, and you come home, have you done your job? Have you done your job? Why? Because you didn't buy milk. Oreos and Lucky Charms are wonderful. There's nothing wrong with either of those foods. They should be bought when you go to the grocery store. However, you were sent to buy milk, which you could make a case both Oreos and Lucky Charms are better with milk. So you'll probably go back on your own, but you didn't go. You didn't, you didn't complete the job. You were sent on an errand. You had an assignment. There was a mission and you didn't complete it. The other things you did are wonderful, and you can keep doing those. Buy Oreos and Lucky Charms every time you go to the grocery store. But if you're sent for milk, and you come home without milk, then you failed. We have, we're sent. What are we sent to do? We looked at it last week. Make disciples. Go and make disciples. Flip it around. You're sent to make disciples. Sending is God's action. Going is our response to his sending. So he says, go and make disciples, or flip it, I'm sending you to make disciples. Disciples, those who look as much like Jesus as possible. So I have an assignment. Those were his final words. We said you can learn a lot about somebody by their final words, the last things that, that they say, particularly if they have time to think about it and they're prepared as Jesus was. And what he said is, this is here's the thing. He could have given any number of instructions, and the one that he gave was make disciples. So when I stand before him, whether I make disciples or not does not get me into heaven. I'm saved by grace because I chose to walk across the bridge that was built for me. At some point, I'm still going to be held accountable for my life. And Jesus is going to say, what did you do? And I'm going to say, Oreos and Lucky Charms. And he's going to say, that's wonderful. Where's the milk? That's what I sent you for. Well, we did this church, and we built this, and I had four kids, and we raised them, and I coached here, and I volunteered here, and I served here. And he's going to say, all of that is great. I'm so glad that you did all of those good things. Where are the disciples? That's what he's going to ask, not in a condescending way, not in a patronizing way, not even in a, there's no vindictiveness in him. This is what he told me to do. It's like when you get home, and she says, where's the milk? Ugh, I forgot. That's, what he, that's where it's coming from. He's given us this, and so I have a responsibility. It's not pressure, it's accountability. Hopefully it, it shifts things a bit in terms of the way you think and the way I think and the way I live. It's not enough just to do good things. What he said was make disciples. And so that's what I need to be about, introducing people to Jesus. Doesn't mean I have to go stand on the square. I'm not going to do that. Doesn't mean I have to go door to door. I'm not going to do that. It's not who I am. It's not how... He's made me, but in the way that he's made me, am I making disciples? Am I trying to introduce people to Jesus? Am I trying to help the people who I love become more like Jesus, the people that God's created them to be in the places where he's put me? Am I trying to see the values, his values, the values of the kingdom lived out in the places where he's planted me? If the answer to those questions is yes, then I'm making disciples. If the answer is no, then I'm not. I need to remember what he sent me to the store to get. And so do you. So what does that look like? Two things. One, I've got to be available to be sent. Isaiah 6, 8, this classic 
kind of missionary call. Who will I send? Who will go for me? And Isaiah says, here am I, send me. And we think about that in a foreign context. Emily Funk says, hey, send me. I'll go to South Africa. Chris Mann says, send me. I'll go to Guatemala. And that's how we tend to think of that passage. And there's some truth there. But there's an availability in our hearts that has to say, I'm willing for you to send me, which means I have to hold things loosely. I've got to hold my job loosely because he may send me to another one. And it might not pay more. It might be a worse job, not a better job. He may send me into a new field. He may send me into a new city. He may tell me to send my kids to a different school. He may send me into a different club or a different group of relationships. I don't know. But there has to be this willingness in me to say, I'm available. That's what, it meant, that's what it means to live as a sent one. There's this availability in me that says, you're the Lord of everything. That's what he says. All authority in heaven on earth is mine. We looked at it last week. So Psalm 24, the, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and everyone who lives there. So he gets to send me anywhere. China doesn't get to say no missionaries because he owns China. So if he says go to China, then we're going to China. Saudi Arabia doesn't get to say you can't do evangelism here because he owns Saudi Arabia too. They don't get to say no, and neither do I, because I've been, I've been adopted into his family. He has all authority, and so he sends me out wherever he chooses to send me, and so I have to hold everything loosely, not easy for us. Fear gets in the way, fear of the unknown, fear of change. Inertia gets in the way. I'm just kind of doing my thing. I get into a routine, which can pretty easily become a rut. I never even ask. I never even make myself available to him to be sent somewhere else. So one question for you is, do you make yourself available? Have you made yourself available? Have you said that, not when you were 18, but as an adult with a mortgage, have you said, here am I, you can send me. You might want to get out of your mortgage, so you're going, here am I, send me. Have you made yourself available to him? It would be difficult for us to do. The second thing is not just to make yourself available to be sent, but to recognize you already have been. That's Jeremiah 29. We'll look at that. So Jeremiah 29 is a letter written to the exile. So these are, these are Jews, Israelites, who've been exiled from Judah, the southern kingdom. So they've hundreds of years of disobedience. God's finally had enough. He says, listen, I'm, y'all are going to time out. So he sends them to time out in Babylon. And they, they're there for 70 years as punishment judgment for the sins that they've committed and in the midst of that Jeremiah who's a prophet writes them this letter this is what the Lord Almighty the God of Israel says to all those I carried into exile or to all those I sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon build houses and settle down plant gardens eat what they produce marry and have sons and daughters find wives for your sons give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters increase in number there don't decrease also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I've carried you into exile pray to the lord for it because if it prospers you too will prosper you see the idea there so we just said i want to make myself available to be sent and i want to recognize that i'm already sent so wherever it is that i am can i see myself as put there by god Can I recognize his sovereignty or his providence in the circumstances of my life and say, even if I feel like I'm in time out, I've been placed there by God and my responsibility is to put down roots quickly. That's what he says to them. They know they're only going to be there for 70 years. That's what it says in this letter. And he doesn't say act like renters. He says own it. Build houses. Plant gardens. Get married. 
Get your kids married. Have more kids. Get them married. Increase. Don't decrease. And as you're doing all of those things, seek the welfare, seek the good of the city that I've placed you in. Recognize that I've sent you there. I've carried you into that place. This is a pagan empire. There's nothing good about Babylon. And yet, he says, seek the welfare of that city. So for you, can you see your office or your neighborhood or your PTA or your soccer team or your church league basketball, whatever it is that you do, can you see those things that you're doing as places where you've been sent? Do you recognize that? Do you recognize that God has put you wherever it is that you are, even if you would say, I didn't even pray about it. These guys certainly didn't ask to go to Babylon. It's where God put them. He said, I carried you there. So can there be some sense for you of this is the providence of God? He's put me in East Cobb or Smyrna or wherever it is. And I have responsibility there as a sent one to make disciples. And I have responsibility there as a sent one to seek the welfare of the place where he's planted me. Even if it's wicked, especially if it's wicked. Tunnel vision. I just, I'm doing my thing. I'm just, we're good with building houses, we're good with planting gardens, we're good with marrying and having kids and getting our kids married. That's life. And so we're all good at that. And we can be so focused on that that we forget verse 7 and seek the welfare of the city. Part of recognizing that you've been sent wherever it is that God has placed you is saying, God, what are you doing here? It's so easy for us just to live with our head down, just focused on what's in front of us. Again, kind of this tunnel vision idea that we lose sight of God where are you at work in my neighborhood my office some of us don't, we don't even ask that question we let we work in secular environments so we never think that God's at work he says here even in Babylon seek the welfare I'm always active Psalm 139 where can you go where I'm not nowhere is the answer he's everywhere so what's he doing in your office what's he doing in your neighborhood what's he doing in your kids school what's he doing on your sports team what's he doing there have you asked are you looking, and then are you asking God, what do you want to do? Where do you want to be at work in all of these places? Because you've sent me here. You've dropped me in the middle of, looking at Chris, Brassfield and Gory. So what do you want to do? He's one guy in a 10,000 person company or whatever it is. God wants to use him there. He sent him there. So what does he want, how does he want to work that? Same question for you. Tunnel vision keeps us from doing it. Fear can as well. I think a lot of times though, we disqualify ourselves. We say, ah, it's not, I don't, I don't know enough. I don't know enough people. I don't have enough money. I'm not high enough ranking in the organization. I don't know the Bible well enough. I cuss a little bit. Whatever it is that we do, we disqualify ourselves. I actually don't cuss at all. No, I'm joking. I'm not joking. So <laughs> we, we disqualify ourselves. Some people, we'll just move on. So we disqualify ourselves <laughs> that way. And it doesn't work. We say, if Isaiah says, here am I, send me, we say, there is him. Take, take him. We don't, even, we don't even, there's no sense in us that God could use us, much less that he would use us. And so we just live keeping ourselves on the sideline, not even asking. We, we look and see all of the things that we lack. Not rec- yes, you're a broken vessel. That's very clear. So we all are. What does the rest of that passage say? You have a precious treasure in that broken vessel. You're carrying around something really, really good. The power of the one that raised Jesus from the dead, that's available to you. 
the same spirit that anointed Jesus to do everything that he did. Jesus didn't do the miracles he did because he was God. He did the miracles that he did because he was filled with the Holy Spirit. And you can be as well. That's that's who you carry around in you. But we disqualify ourselves. Some of us, it's not that we don't notice what's going on. It's we say, well, what can I do about it? The problems are too big or I'm too small. Neither one of those things is helpful. So what we want to do is we want to be people who say, here am I. We want to make ourselves available. I'm going to hold everything loosely. and by Everything. I'm going to hold it all loosely and say, God, you send me wherever you want to send me. That's the hard prayer for me. It's easy for me to put down roots. It's hard for me to hold things loosely. I don't know which way you fall. That's a hard one. And that's when I need to tie back and say, well, God has more invested in me than I do. And God has more invested in my salvation than I do. So if there's someone who loves me enough to die for me, then surely I can trust him to, with my future. If he calls me into something else, if he sends me somewhere else, surely I can trust him with that. For some of you, the new is easy. You're all about change. Give, you want something new all the time, change, holding things loosely. You don't have any problem with that. You keep a for sale sign in your garage just in case. And that's how you live. And that, but for you, it's the putting down roots. That's difficult. It's hard for you to engage where you are. It's hard for you to say, you know, because you know it's, it's just for a short time. Or for whatever reason, it's difficult for you to engage. And you need to begin to press into that a little bit. And say, for as long as I'm here, it's Jim Elliott. Wherever you are, be all there for however long you're going to be there. And you've got to put your roots down in that place where God has you, even if you see it only as a temporary situation. Ultimately, every situation is a temporary situation. There's no excuse for not putting down roots. That might be the harder one for you, and that can be a difficult prayer to pray. You might have to put yourself out there in a way that you haven't. You might not be able to blend into the background quite as easily. You might have to sign up for something, or even worse, you might have to start something. That can be hard for some of us. I'm not saying that that's what that means, but that could be what's in front of you. Once you start saying, all right, I'm going to put down roots, and and I'm going to begin to notice the areas of brokenness and wherever God has sent me, then the next step is, well, what are we going to do about that? And that's usually what are we going to do about that. So again, I don't know where you fall this morning. I'd encourage you to press into which one of those comes easy to you. And the other one is probably more difficult. It's an area just to ask the Lord. And again, it's this, this is what I believe, and you've got to help me in these areas where I don't. God, I can say absolutely change jobs. I can't say change cities or whatever it is for you. Or I can say I can plant roots in my neighborhood. Just don't ask me to do it in my job. Or whatever those places are, those very specific points of tension, belief and unbelief in your heart, you should begin to bring those things before him and give him a chance to work on that. So we're going to pray. Bo, you're going to come back up and close us in worship. He'll dismiss us when we're done. Let me pray and then... um, We'll wrap up. We'll have ministry teams in the corner. We'll pray with you about anything that you have going on. Something I said stirred something in your heart. We'll be happy to pray with you about that. If there's something else, of course, we'd love to to pray with you. So just briefly, God, my prayer, a couple of things. One, if there's anyone here who would say, I haven't walked across the bridge. Lord, I pray that they would be able in their own hearts to say, this is what I believe about God and, and this is what I don't. And they'd be able to say that to you. God, this is what I believe about you and these are the things that I don't and you could begin to work with them on that whatever that happens to look like their intellectual objections or 
experiential or whatever, I just pray that you begin to work on those of us who are on the other side of the bridge. God, if there are people in here who have made a decision to follow you and we're continuing to wander, God, I pray you'd wrestle us back today. Throw up our hand and say, hey, rescue me over here in this pit. We would know you pursuing us, coming after us. And God, we all want to live as sent ones. We don't really have a choice. You have sent us. The question is whether or not we're going to live accordingly. So God, I pray for those of us who have a hard time holding things loosely. God, that we would love you more than we love our position in life or even more than we love our lives. That we would love you more. That you would put a deeper desire in us to see people coming to know you. A deeper desire in us to see your kingdom come than to live comfortably. And God, I pray for those of us who have a hard time saying, I'm going to put down roots. God, that you would show us your calling on our life, how you want to use us in the places where you've planted us. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys can stand, but we'll dismiss us when we're done.